Well, hey, good morning, y'all. It's good to see you. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. Before we move into this week's uh, sermon, let me kind of backtrack to last week. How many of y'all had fun on Super Sunday Showdown? It was awesome, wasn't it? So let me take a second to celebrate that because what we wanted to do, we had a huge crowd here last week. One of the, one of the things that we wanted to do was kind of flip the script on how Super Bowl Sunday has, has typically fleshed out in our church and, and typically across most churches in America. Um, a very low attendance Sunday, we wanted to flip the script and we did. We're not all about the numbers. We really just want the gospel to get to more people. And because of what y'all did, we had 513 here last week, which is awesome. Amen. Uh, what's incredibly impressive about that is 2019, on the same Sunday, we had 230, okay? So y'all, man, you got the word out, you showed up, and you invited friends, and it was awesome, okay? And like Jack said, we're all in recovery mode, okay? Um, and so I figured I'd tackle a light subject this week, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> um, you know, thinking about, um, we're, we're going to enter into this series called Sex in a Broken World. You know, I've been thinking about trending topics in the news over the last couple weeks, and there's a number of things that have been trending in the world, um, understandably so. And then we've also had the impeachment of President Trump, okay, which has been big news. And another thing that has been really trending over the last week is the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 54. Halftime show, right? <laughs> Anybody notice that? There's been all kinds of conversation about the halftime show. And so, you know, I figured what I'd do is I'd just roll the dice and say, hey, what's the most uncomfortable topic I could talk about this week? Um, death, politics, or sex? I mean, well, you know, uh, and so I decided, you know, the winner is sex, all right? So we are going to be in the series called Sex in a Broken World, which is is based off of this book of the same name um, by a guy named Paul David Tripp. Um, great book. I would highly recommend it. Um, Paul Tripp was actually a graduate of CIU, or what, what was formerly known as Columbia Bible College back in the day, all right? So uh, it's a great book. What we're going to do over the next few weeks um, is really just take a peek into this book, three out of the 11 chapters we're going to kind of look at uh, in depth a little bit over the next three weeks. Um, but, but I do want to warn you, like Jack said, it is PG-13, okay? Not necessarily graphic, but the content, um, obviously you know what the content's about, right? And you may be like, I'm a little uncomfortable about talking about this in church. And I've got to confess to you that I'm uncomfortable every time I face screaming out about sexuality in our world, right? And I, that makes me uncomfortable. Here's what, what tends to happen in the church. We tend to stay quiet about this subject, which is a really important subject. And the only times we talk about it is when we say, hey, don't do this or don't do that, right? It's bad, it's dirty. And yet, you know what? God actually introduced this subject matter very early on. In fact, he introduced it in the very beginning. And in Genesis 1, you see as God is coming through creation week, he's creating heavens and the earth and everything that's in them. And it comes down to, to verse number 27 of Genesis chapter 1. And it says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So from the start, he introduces gender, right? Verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, so God makes man and woman. And his very first command is be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. Okay, you know what he's saying? He's saying fill the planet with children, with babies. 
Y'all know how that happens? Anybody? All right. If you don't, go home and ask mom and dad. All right. Uh, I'm not going to dive into that. But from the very start, God introduces this idea of sex and its sumpus from the very start. Okay. And, and then Genesis chapter 2, we move along. He's kind of recounting this creation of man and woman. He comes to Genesis 2.18 and he says, it's not good for man to be alone. And so God has created Adam. He creates Eve from a rib of his side. And then in, in verse 23 through 25, Okay, we're, we are in uh, February, the month of Valentine's Day, right? The, the month of love. And here's the very first love song from Adam when God presents his bride to him. In Genesis 2, 23, it says, Then the man said, okay, he wakes up from this deep sleep, this surgery that God has performed in making woman. And it says, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. You know, and there's a couple different ways you can interpret this. Some people say woman is womb plus man, okay? So woman, uh, the, way I, I, the way I see it, it's kind of like Adam, you know, he's been naming animals and all of a sudden God brings him this woman and he goes, whoa, man, <laughs> check this out. I've been looking at aardvarks and anteaters and this is amazing, all right? And she is beautiful, and she is not clothed. This is amazing, all right? He, and he is like, whoa, man. Okay, take whichever interpretation you prefer, right? She shall be called woman because she was taken out to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This is God instituting this, this marriage idea, right, from the very start and they're going to be one flesh. There's this one flesh union. It's, it's spiritual. It's emotional. It's physical. In every way possible, this man and this woman, this husband and this wife fit together in every way possible. And then verse 25, it says this, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Okay, so this was a beautiful part of God's creation but you and I don't have to look very far to see that God's beautiful design for sex has been distorted and it's been warped and corrupted almost beyond recognition. Let's, let's kind of go back to the Super Bowl, okay? Let's, let's think about the Super Bowl. Literally the world's biggest stage, okay? The statistics came out this week, 99.9 .9 million people watched on television, okay, the old-fashioned way. When you count all the other forms of media, 102 million watched this. And so here's a list from Nielsen ratings, the top 11 uh, top-rated TV shows in history, okay? And what you'll notice is 10 out of 11, okay, our Super Bowl 54 came in number 11 at 102 million. You notice 10 out of the 11 most highly viewed shows in history were Super Bowls, all right? And then you got Matt. Literally the, the world's biggest stage every single year, okay? The most sets of eyes in the world are watching this event, which is supposed to be a competitive event between two football teams, right? But then you have the halftime show. <laughs> and, and, and I'll just admit to you, at the halftime show this last week, um, we started to watch it with our kids, and there came a certain point where we said, okay, we gotta flip the channel, all right? We gotta move on. And, uh, and we did. But then we hear, we hear all this commotion all week about it on social media, people on all ends of the spectrums agreeing or disagreeing with the tastefulness of the halftime show, okay? And, and what the image that we saw that caused us to turn the channel, we're like, I felt like this week on this topic, okay, it was kind of like 
this was setting me up for this, this sermon, right? Um, but I decided, I said, you know what? Maybe the halftime show wasn't as bad as, as you know, we've, we've heard. So I'm going to go and watch it. But I'm just telling you, when my wife got home that day, I felt like I had to confess to her. Honey, I watched the halftime show. All right? I just felt dirty. I'm just being honest with you. I, but there was, a, there was a particular, and you could pick out any number of scenes or images. Um, and if, if I could put it on the screen, I would, but I don't, I don't feel good about that. There was one particular image from this halftime show that occurred that really bothered me, okay? What it was was this group of dancers, a stage full of dancers who, of, of dancers who were literally, it looked like an orgy on stage, worshiping at the foot of a stripper pole. And there was, and all I could think about was, you know, in New Testament times and the sex gods and all of the, the, the stuff that was going on and even New Testament times. And, and there's this competing image, this competing religious image. Rather than a group of people that are bowed down at the foot of the cross, worshiping a savior on a cross, you have people who are sexually suggestive um, in their actions, worshiping, not at the foot of a cross, not a savior on a cross, but, but a female, half clothed, on a stripper pole. This is, this is our culture. This is where we at, are at as a culture. Uh, you just think about, not even the, the halftime show, but think about, just in general, the Super Bowl, this event. This event has been known over the years to be connected uh, or associated with being one of the largest human trafficking events or incidents in the United States every single year. And so here's a football game, what's supposed to be this competitive event, and, it, and really it's just saturated with messages and, and incidents of sexual corruptness. A mind-boggling time, honestly. It's, it's a time where there's disagreement on what were once very commonly held terms, like gender. I mean, that's, that's not even an, uh, an agreed-upon term anymore, right? There's new terms like sexual orientation and things that, you know, our grandparents or 50 years ago would have been like scratching their heads, like, what, is, what does this even mean? And so it's, it's clear that God's intention for sex has been twisted beyond, uh, beyond recognition even. And so, you know what, in this room today, I don't, I don't know where you're at on this subject. You, you may be a young man, or let's be honest, an older man who, who is dominated by sexual thoughts and sexual desires and sexual actions and addiction to pornography even. That may be where you're at. You may be a young woman, or again, an older woman, who lives in a world where you feel the tension of trying to use your physical body to draw attention or to attract, okay? Which is very common for young women in particular to feel this pressure to dress or to act or to post on social media sexually suggestive images and to live in that type of way. Maybe that's who is overwhelmed by the temptations that your kids face. And you're constantly wrestling with the question, how do I protect my kids from all the stuff that is out there? Maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you are a wife who can't for the life of you understand 
the struggle that your husband has with sexual temptation and with lust. Or maybe you're someone in this room that you struggle with same-sex attraction or relationships or questions about your own sexuality. Or maybe you're somebody in this room who has is, who is dealt with sexual sin against you. Maybe that's, that's your, your history. And so, listen, we have been created as sexual beings. There is no doubt about it. And we cannot, we cannot avoid it. It's hardwired into us. This is part of God's incredible design. But you know what? We cannot allow it to become our identity. And we cannot allow it to do what our culture has done and allow it to become an obsession and allow it to become an idol, to allow it to become our God that, that determines all of our life and all of our thoughts and all of our actions. And so what we're going to do in this series is foundational to what we're going to talk about the next couple weeks. Um, and, and as we move into weeks two and three of the series, we're going to talk more about the why, why we do the things that we do. Uh, and then what the purpose of sex even is all about, okay? So that's, that's where we are headed in this series. So I want to ask you to do this. Turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Flip loud in your Bibles, okay? I'd love to hear it. Uh, it's in your, um, you'll see it in the Bible app as well if you're, if you're going there. Romans chapter 8. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a, a, a series of verses in Romans 8. Again, this is one of my favorite chapters in all of scripture. But I'll be honest with you, when I started to read this book, and it's been a couple years since I read this, um, Paul Tripp, what he does is he works through Romans chapter 8 in this first chapter, and this is, I never would have, I never would have guessed this chapter would be used in this context, all right? But I love it. I think it sets the stage for this big topic that we're jumping into in this series. So we're going to read through Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 18 through 39 over, over the series of this morning, okay? And so there's three big things that I want to talk about today. The first thing is this, and this will be in your notes. Our present address, our present address, and that is a world of brokenness, a world of brokenness. Just tell, say your address out loud for everyone to hear, okay? Just say it. Okay. It sounds like everybody's speaking in tongues, all right? That's as close as we'll get to that in this Baptist church. Uh, but here's the deal. Um, my address, 18 Kentucky to record. We all have an address, right? A place where we live. And here, here's the point of what we're going to talk about for the next couple of minutes. We've got to understand the environment in which we live, the place in which we are parked as human beings, if we're really going to understand this deep struggle that we have with sexuality, okay? So we're going to jump into Romans chapter 8. We're going to find what our present address is. It's a world of brokenness, okay? So Romans chapter 8, <clears throat> starting in verse number 18. And what Paul says here is, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Okay, and so what we see here as, as, as Romans 8 starts out, it, it, it unpacks for us the environment 
we all live in between the already and the not yet. The already is the already of Jesus coming. Okay, he, he saw a people in need of, of saving, of redeeming from our sins, and so he came, he lived a sinless life, he offered his life on the cross, died to forgive us of our sins if we would put our faith in him. And then he rose again. Okay, so we live between the already of Jesus coming and the not yet of Jesus coming again. When he will come, he will return, and he will make all things right. He will renew things, and he will, he will bring justice fully and finally, and everything will be as it was originally intended to be. That is the not yet that we are waiting for. Okay, so in the meantime, we are living between the already and the not yet. We're li living in the tension of the in-between time. And what Romans 8 does for us is it sets the context of this environment in which we live. And so if you notice in verse 18, he starts it out by saying this, for I consider that the what? The sufferings of this present time. Okay, so he sets the context here and he says, we live in a time that's full of suffering. Why? It's because this world that we live in is broken. It is broken. In fact, in verse 20, he says, the creation, everything that God has made, is, was subjected to futility. Okay, not willingly, but the human race. And we have all followed suit by sinning ourselves. We are sinners, we are broken, and we live in the midst of a broken world. Verse 21 says it's a world that is in bondage to corruption. Okay, so, so you see where we live? We are broken people in a broken world. And suffering is a normal part of the human experience. Suffering is normal, it's not weird, it's not alien, it's not surprising. It, it, it's, suffering is not an indication that God is absent or quiet or gone missing. Suffering is a normal part of, of what we experience as broken people in a broken world. This is the address in which we all live, a broken world. And that suffering and that brokenness affects everything. In particular, it affects our sexuality. Okay, and so what we see in our world, man, it's, it's a result of the brokenness of our world. And it's affected everything. It affects our attitudes about sex. I mean, again, you look at all the commotion this week about the Super Bowl halftime show. There is not, there's not full agreement on whether it was tasteful or not, right? There's people that were saying, hey, this was great. This is empowering to women, and this is filament here. I, one of the funny things is this week, as we were looking back at our social media over the years, it was at this point several years ago, um, we saw stuff that we posted years ago, um, a few years ago, it had to do with Fifty Shades of Grey. You remember that? When those movies were coming out and there was all kinds, same thing. And I was looking at that going, this is, this is so against God's design for sexuality. And there was people, there were Christian people, and you may be one of them, who were like, I love Fifty Shades of Grey, okay? And there, there is not even universal agreement. It's the brokenness of our world has broken our attitudes even towards sexuality, and it's destructive. And so we've got to know our present address as broken men and women in a broken world because if we don't understand the, the time and the place in which we live, 
we won't expect suffering and we won't expect temptation to come our way. And we don't, when we don't expect it, we're unprepared when it comes. Okay, so the way I think about this is our home. When we have house guests who we are, we are expecting, when we expect people to come to our house, you know what our house looks like? I mean, it's spotless, all right? We are prepared for people to come. If you show up at our door and we are not expecting you, you will continue. And that is what happens with our sexuality. When we don't realize and understand and know, hey, I am broken and I am capable of all kinds of wickedness and sin and I live in a broken world. When I know that and I understand that, when I expect that to be the case, then I can be prepared. And so this, this all seems like basic stuff, but this is foundational. We've got to understand the address in which we all live. And that present address is a world of brokenness. Okay, so here, here's the second thing I want to I talk about is our future longing. This is what we see in Romans chapter 8, our future longing, which is the hope of redemption. In other words, our present address is not our permanent dwelling place. And I love this, okay? Uh, I remember, goodness, about eight years ago, my family at this time, it wasn't the Tate Six Pack, all right? We had five of us, okay? We had three boys, and we were living in Virginia Beach, Virginia, okay? And we lived, this was a time in transition. We lived in, um, money was tight. We lived in a three-bedroom apartment. It was a second a second floor apartment with three little boys, all right? And it was like 1,100 square feet, and man, it was tight in this place. And we were like constantly trying to keep the kids from running around because we had neighbors underneath. And I just remember this whole season being like, oh my goodness, this is so hard. This place in a new dwelling place, right? When we could be in a house. If I could fast forward and imagine like at this point having like a bedroom for every kid, I would have been like, oh, I can't wait for the day, right? There was this longing. The thing that helped was it was like, okay, we have a one-year lease. We can make it. We can do it. And there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And what I want to say about, about this illustration is this. We live in the midst of a broken world, and we are broken people. But that is, this is not our permanent dwelling place. There is a future longing, this hope for redemption. The not yet is coming, okay? There is coming a point where we will be in the not yet, and it will be present and we will be living in a place where heaven has come to earth, okay? And this is, this is what you see in Romans 8. This is what I love about this passage, is that though this world and all of us are broken, man, we are waiting for redemption. And I want you to see in Romans 8, as we kind of look back here, um, looking at verse number uh, 19, it says this, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. The sons of God meaning the, the angels, the, 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 the spirit beings, this revealing of the revelation of Jesus from heaven coming back. The creation, all that God has made is longing eagerly. We move on to this, this next verse here in, in verse 22 through 25, and it says, again, the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope 
for what we do not see. We wait for it with patience. And we're waiting, we're hopeful, and there's a day where that hope will be done away with. We don't have to hope when we're actually in that place, when we've been redeemed. And I love it. It uses this term over and over. Paul says there's this groaning that's taken place, that all of creation, everything that's even we would consider inanimate, is inwardly groaning for Jesus to return and make everything new. And not, all, not only all of creation, but we ourselves, he says, that we, there is this longing that we have for everything that is broken to be made whole. Listen, even people that don't know Jesus, there's this longing for things to be made right. There's this longing for wholeness and healing. This is the longing that, that prompts us to go after things, to fulfill that longing. This is the longing that prompts so many of us to go after sexual desires and fantasies that if we would fulfill those things, they might fulfill us. And for a moment, they may, but the Bible says that, man, sin is fun for a season, but it's fleeting. It always ends up empty. And there's this, this longing that we have for redemption and all of creation and we ourselves are groaning inwardly for this redemption and the world this world and all of its brokenness and all of us are crying out for one thing for a redeemer for a redeemer and there's this groaning taking place and and I, i think of it this way um I think of an old man or an old woman, no offense to anybody in the room, right, that, that even that feels the, the, the weight of the years and the tiredness of the body and this agedness creeping in where even getting out of bed or out of a chair, or bending down to pick something up causes an audible groan, right? And some of us have felt that. You know, it cracks me up when, you know, our 12 or 14-year-old are like, man, I'm getting too old for this. And we're like, What? <laughs> Let me smack you, son. Um, but you know, some of us feel that when we, oh my goodness, we're like, the bones are creaking, there's this groaning audibly that takes place, right? And it says that all of creation and all, all of, we ourselves are groaning because we cannot wait for the redemption of our bodies. When we don't have to deal with the brokenness of our physical bodies and our physical desires, that draw us away from God. You know, our struggle with, with sex and sexual sin, it, it, it shows us, or it should bring us back to this understanding of our deep and desperate need that we all have for grace. Our desperate need for grace. And so this is our, our future longing. It's the hope of redemption. Okay, the, the third part <clears throat> of this that I want to tackle is our current reality, and this is the best part, y'all. Our current reality is the promise of grace. The promise of grace. Because however you deal with, with, with this topic of sexual sin, sexual brokenness, maybe it's deeply rooted in your experience, okay? And, and, and you would come through this and go, I, I know I'm broken. I know I'm in need of grace, and I live here and I hope that one day I don't have to experience all this brokenness anymore. And if we, but here is our current reality: is there is this promise that we have been given of grace that comes to meet us in our brokenness. 
Romans chapter 8, let's look at it in verse number 26. I just want to start with this, this one simple verse. It says this, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. Listen, y'all, we are not strong enough to overcome our sexual sin and brokenness. The harder we try, and this has to do with any kind of sin, the harder we try to, to escape our brokenness, the more brokenness we find ourselves in. We don't need to be stronger. We need help. Amen? We need help. We don't need to be stronger. We don't need to do better. We don't need to try harder. We need help. And Romans 8.26 says that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And I love how Paul Tripp says it in his book. Here, here's the bottom line this morning. This is a quote directly from him. He says this, God's best and most precious gift to us between the already and the not yet is the gift of himself. The best and the most precious gift. And listen, we can, we can try harder, try to do better. We can set up more boundaries, have accountability. And all those things are good things that we should do in our life. But what we need more than anything else is we need the help of God himself. We need the presence of God with us, helping us, empowering us to overcome what we could never, ever overcome in our own flesh. The reason that we're in the problem that we're in as a culture and as individuals is because of our flesh. And so to try to overcome our, our, our brokenness in our flesh only ends up in more brokenness. We need the help of a savior, of a redeemer. And the amazing thing is this is the promise that we have been given, that his grace and his presence will come to us. And I, I want to walk through five kind of different ways, and we'll work through this quickly through the rest of this passage in Romans 8. Five different ways that his presence and grace comes to us. First, it comes as uncomfortable grace. Uncomfortable grace. You know, because we live in a broken world that is full of suffering, that you and I are going to suffer, it's not surprising. It's, it's a part of life. And because of that, because we experience suffering, life is not always going to be comfortable. But here's what you've got to know. God is not after your comfort. God is after use seasons of being uncomfortable. God will use your brokenness to reveal to you and to me our wandering hearts. And it's uncomfortable, y'all. But it's grace. I've talked to people that, you know, sometimes what happens in a relationship is maybe you've been dabbling in sexual sin and you get found out. Your sin gets brought to the light. And what happens sometimes when that happens is like, man, this is, this is not good. This is frustrating. This is disappointing. There's an anger that happens when we get caught in our sin. But here's the deal. When our sin gets found out, when our sin is brought out from the darkness and into the light, it is the grace of God that brings our sin into the light. Because only when our sin comes out of the darkness and into the light of God's love and grace and power can we actually find healing there. And so sometimes his grace comes as uncomfortable grace, but it is grace nonetheless. 
It is the grace of God interrupting our path of destruction to bring us into the light. And so if you've been found out, or for some of you, when you get found out, it's uncomfortable, but it's uncomfortable grace that God brings to us. So it's uncomfortable grace. It, it can also be described as intervening grace. Intervening grace. I want to look at verses 26 and 27. Romans 8 says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Here, here's, what, here's what Paul says. That in our weakness, in our brokenness, in our fallenness, man, we don't even know how to pray as we ought to. And yet the Spirit of God is intervening for us. He is interceding before the Father. And I love the term that he uses here. He says he's groaning for us. And so get this, all of creation is groaning for redemption, and we ourselves were groaning for the redemption of our bodies. And at the same time, the Spirit of God who is in us that know Jesus as Savior, the Spirit of God is in us actually groaning also but he's groaning for us. We don't know how to get out of our brokenness when we don't know what to do. The Spirit is helping us and he's interceding for us and he's groaning for us to the Father. The Spirit of God, in fact, if you move on to verse number uh, 30, 34, it says that this, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. And what is he doing? He is interceding for us. So the Holy Spirit of God is interceding before the Father and Jesus himself, who's died and has been raised again. He's at the right hand of God. He is in the ear of God the Father at the right hand of the throne. And you know what he's doing? He's interceding for us. He's bringing our requests and our needs before the Father. Because here's what happens. Those of you that have been caught up or have fallen in sexual sin, or maybe you're the victim of sexual sin, when, you're, when you've fallen, when you're weak, when you're confused, when you don't know how to pray or what to do, sometimes what we think is that God turns his back on us. But the reality, the truth is that he does the exact opposite. He hasn't turned away from you. He is actually intervening on your behalf. He is actually praying for you and with you, and he is alongside of you. And so it's uncomfortable grace. It's intervening grace. It's, un guess what? His grace is unstoppable. He is working out, verses 28 through 30, it tells us, he is working out his purpose for us. Romans 8, 28, let's look at it. He says this, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his, what? His purpose. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And though, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. And so what Paul does is he speaks to this, this purpose of God that was predestined, your destiny, before you even existed, before you even came on the scene, 
God's plan for you was to conform you to the image of Christ. And so nothing, listen, nothing you do or have done could possibly stop the plan of God for your life. It is unstoppable grace, amen? It existed before you did, and so nothing you do could stop that grace. His grace and his presence comes to us as unstoppable grace. And you know what? Your heart, his heart for you will never wonder. Your heart may wonder away from God, but his heart for you will never wander away. It is unstoppable grace that comes to us. So it's uncomfortable grace, it's intervening grace, it's unstoppable grace, it is providing grace. It is providing grace. Look at verse number 31. Paul says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And there are four incredible words that he says there. God is what? For us. He is for us. And if, listen, if he has given up his son, his most precious possession, his own son, if he has already given up his son for us, how or why would he not give up everything? Why would he not provide and supply for us everything that we could possibly need when he's already given us himself? Man, it is providing grace. He provides for us everything that we need grace. It is inseparable grace. And I want you to look at verse number 35. Man, this is the culmination of this incredible chapter. And and I want you, as we kind of read this, man, let God pour this over you as we read this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. We suffer. Verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I'm persuaded, I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, no sexual sin or brokenness could ever, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Nothing could separate us from the love of God. And so listen, your darkest moments of sexual wandering and brokenness. Can I tell you this morning, it will never, ever, ever separate you from the love of God that he has for you in Christ Jesus. It is grace that comes and he doesn't take it away, man. It is grace that is ours, that nothing we do or have done could ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so our current reality, listen, know this, our current reality is the promise of grace, that we are not alone in this. 
And so as we think back on Romans chapter 8, this passage, man, I'm telling you, it is brutally honest about our condition, right? That we are in a broken world and that we are broken people in a broken condition. It is brutally honest about where we are at, but it's also at the same time gloriously hopeful. Because he says, even though we're in this present suffering, man, it doesn't even compare. The suffering that we endure now doesn't compare to the glory that's going to be revealed, this future glory. And so we've got to know our, our, our present address is that we are in a world of brokenness. We're in a broken world. And it, listen, you know, when it comes to the stuff that we see out there in our culture, it shouldn't surprise us what we see, but listen, it also shouldn't, we also shouldn't be numb to it. And where we live, it's a world of brokenness, but we also need to know that there's a future glory. Our future longing is the hope of, of redemption. And so every time we experience sexual brokenness or sin, man, may it, may it point our eyes and our hearts to this longing for redemption and in the meantime, as we live in this space between the already and the not yet, let's remember our current reality is the promise of grace that we have, that the Spirit of God is helping us, is with us, he's working in us, bringing us grace that we so desperately need. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you today that you, uh, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our suffering, you don't leave us in that place to figure it out. You don't leave us in this place of brokenness to, to do better, to try harder, to put up more walls and boundaries, to try to, to, try to protect ourselves. No, God, you have given us the best and most precious gift of all. You have given us yourself. You have given us grace that only comes through your presence. Touched by the sexual brokenness of our world and of our culture. God, for many of us, it has moved into our homes. God, for many of us, it, is, it has infiltrated our hearts. God, for some of us, it's for our kids. For some of us, it's for us. For some of us, uh, it's people we love. For, for all of us, man, this is, this is a brokenness that infects not only our world, but your church and your people. And God, we don't do ourselves any favors by putting our heads in the sand. God, we need your wisdom, and we need your guidance, and we need your presence and your power to overcome the sin and the, the brokenness of our hearts and of our homes and of our church. And so, God, as, um, as one of the, the leaders that you have put in place here, God, I want to come before you in, in confession. God, that we have allowed um, the physical and the temporary and the things that we put our eyes on to, um, to capture our affections and our attention God, we have succumbed in so many ways to the temptations and the lusts of our culture and of our world, of the flesh and of the enemy. But God, that's not your way for us. Our, our, our sinfulness 
and our brokenness to you. God, asking that you would come in to this place and into our homes and into our hearts and into our church and that you would bring healing. God, that you would bring redemption. God, for the ones that have been affected by sexual sin against them, God, and it discolors all of their life, God, would you help them to find healing in Christ? God, I know that's a long road, but I know that only you can bring them out of brokenness to find healing. God, for those of of us in this church who deal with um, sexual sin in our hearts and in our lives, with our thoughts and with our deeds, God, would you forgive us and would you grant us power over those things. God, you are for us. God, you've said that you can overcome all things and that nothing can separate us from our love, but we need you. We need the help of your spirit. And so God, would you bring victory in this place? God, would you work in our hearts and in our church and over the course of these weeks as we look at your word, would you grant us freedom? Would you grant us power? Would you grant us grace that is unstoppable, that is inseparable? And so God, would you work in our hearts? God, would you give us hearts of gratitude and worship this morning? We pray in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Would you stand with us as we worship the Lord?